Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, Tom, I'd like to begin, if you don't mind, by talking about women and the the role, really, and the impact of women in your life growing up. Sure. And namely, of course, one woman in particular, because yeah. I gather from your lovely Instagram post that your mother is one hell of a lady. Yes, yes. That's a, that is an understatement yeah. there. That is quite an And she's 94 and She'll still going to shows She'll be 95 on October 1st. Yeah, That's incredible. Yeah, God willing. Man. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, she's good. Uh, Mary Morello is a force of nature. I mean, she grew up in a... A small coal mining town in central Illinois and the kind of town where no one leaves. And she left uh, as a single woman, traveled the world for 20 years. she, what was the drive? Was that just to she can't see explain the world? it? She can't explain. I mean, I've asked her that many times. Like, why, of, why, did, of all the people of that town, how did the you know, one of three siblings, a woman, you know, in I think she left home in uh, she was born in 23, so right at the around the end of world war ii um i don't know why you know she doesn't know why uh she says she has one history teacher who was kind of like inspirational but that everyone had that history teacher in that class and only one of them became mary morello so uh you know she taught in spain and in japan and in germany post-war and eventually found her uh after taking tramp steamers around the globe multiple times and have many adventures found herself in kenya where she met my dad in the in the midst of the mau mau uprising and she was there teaching at a school in the Aberdares Mountains, which was kind of where the Mau Mau were, and a, a, a residence where you couldn't go out at night for fear of leopards. So that's wow. that's kind of the I visited it. 
leopard heavy. So we're uh, talking outback. You're in the bush. Yeah, you're yeah. in the bush. And, uh, you know, and then while she was there, she, you know, met some of the people who were uh, involved in Kenya's independence struggle. One of them was my dad. And am I right in thinking that he was Kenya's first ambassador for the U.N.? Yeah, he, he was no, he wasn't the first ambassador. He was actually Kenya's ambassador to England for eight years, but he was part of the first UN delegation. Right. And that's why I was born in New York City. <clears throat> and was he, I guess, not present throughout your childhood? Um, yeah, yeah, that would be that would be very yeah. accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I met him when I, I met him properly when I was like thirty years old. Wow, Kenya. okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh and so that was a you know, imagine he was sort of a, a visage and a, a presence without ever really knowing who he was. But the good news is Mary Morello is like is no joke. And I was literally the only black kid in the town that I grew up in. Um, and at the time, it was a place where my mom could. And that's uh, Illinois, right? It's Illinois. It's a yeah. town called Libertyville, Illinois. Um, and it was the town. She was, a, of course, a, a, an overqualified world history teacher, given her travels and her and her intellect. But uh, she, we, she couldn't teach at a lot of the local high schools because we were an interracial family. And they said, you can teach here, but because you guys are black, you would have to live elsewhere. And she thought that was not cool. So finally, someone vouched for us in Libertyville, and that's why I grew up in that town. And so I'm assuming that politics and academia were both there for you from a very early age, <laughs> yeah. if not always. With, without even thinking of it in that, those were like sort of parts of life. And, yeah. and even though it was a staunchly conservative suburb, the politics of my home were very radical. And so I didn't really realize that the, the, the sharp juxtaposition till I was in till I was in high school and recognized that like I had a very different worldview than my teachers and most of the student body. And did your mum actually teach you? Yeah, she did. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. senior year. What was that was, like? Was that well, well, I, was, I was on my way out. You know, like I had, <laughs> I'd already been accepted to university and it was like the last quarter of my high school career. And she taught, was teaching African studies, which is a very interesting topic. But I'd be like, mom, I'm going to uh, skip class today and go practice with my punk band. I'm just letting you know. And she would be like. And was she supportive of the music? She was, yeah, she, yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah. She was the. The only house that would allow us to, to play there, yeah, and um, the the which is very sweet because we were a cacophonic group that was probably not that pleasant for her to listen to. <laughs> Did you go to school with Adam Jones as well? From he tall? was in the band. He was well, okay. He was wow. in that band, the Electric Sheep. Yeah, yeah he was in that. Isn't band. that crazy how life works <laughs> out? Because there's there's points in time I think where you can trace back sort of key bands of their generation to previous lives. Yeah, yeah. It's it's mad, isn't it? It is mad. It is. It's so crazy that we're. When we were in a band and then had very divergent paths for years, and then we were in bands again later. So you went to Harvard to study social <coughs> studies, right? Yeah, yeah. Did you like political science think about pursuing a career in politics? Did you begin pursuing a career in politics? Uh, not, not politics with a capital P. Uh, I, I know I was a fired up, committed anarchist when I went to Harvard. I was going there to sort of intellectually arm myself for the coming struggle, uh, not to seek elected office. Uh, but while I was there, uh, an unexpected thing happened. I was a freshman, I was 19, and I had like a literal calling, like a religious calling to play guitar. I didn't start playing, I started playing when I was 17, but it was 19 where the skies opened and I realized that that was my fate. And what so, was the epiphany? What was the moment? Uh, I don't know there was an actual moment, but I, it was that year, it was where my ability started to catch fire a little bit i was practicing first it was an hour a day then it was two hours a day it was like four hours every day while pursuing an honors degree in in poli sci but i just felt like like i think i could do this really well and 
I was, it was something, you know, in a, in a world of like chaos and there was sort of romantic chaos and racial chaos and. And teenage had, chaos. Teenage chaos, well. but I had control yeah. over this. And it was the only deciding factor of whether I would sink or swim was my own will. And I had that in abundance. I think there's certain musicians that appear and you can't imagine them ever doing anything else, you know? There's like, yeah. obviously, Hendrix is one of those sure, musicians sure, that comes sure, to sure, mind. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And Slash is another sure, one. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. I guess it's just, it's almost a physical connection to the instrument yeah, yeah. as well I mean, as something just, inside, right? It was really no choice. I mean, it really felt like it was not a choice that I was making. It was a choice that was made from the outside. So you pack up your bags, you move west to yes, L.A., and yes. you arrive what year? Seeking my fortune uh, in Hollywood in 1986. I left home in September 2nd, September 2nd, 86, and I arrived 36 hours later. Talk me through that first, say, month yes. in L.A. and what was going Not on. Not awesome month. Musically no, yeah, at that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I went out there with, with these lofty ambitions that I had it all figured out. I thought everyone's going to, it's going to be like a, a city of shredding guitar of Steve Vise. Yeah. And I'm going to fit right in because I've been practicing my eight hours a day and <clears throat> I'm going to get in a band of virtuosos and rock it to the top. That was my idea. That was not what happened. Uh, it turned out that was a, a the, the period of like faster pussycat and uh -huh. bands like that. Yeah, which poison were, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Which did not. It was very image have a very particular image that I did not fit, and musicianship was not high on the scale of priorities. And I went and saw those bands at the local clubs. And I just thought, uh oh, like I'm in trouble here. Like I, there's nothing in like you have to be that in order to be make records and to be a rock star and be successful. And there. There's nothing in me that can do any of that. I can't look like that. I can't sound like that. I can't pose like that. I just can't do any of it. Um, and so those were uh, those were challenging times. I also, even though I had a Harvard degree, I didn't have work experience. I, my only work experience was at the Renaissance Fair, which so I could juggle. And there, were, and if you wanted me to joust i could probably you know hold a lance Medi what's that restaurant called medieval, medieval times, times. Yes, yes yeah, yeah. medieval times uh, <laughs> medieval times you probably missed, missed the trick i mean yeah yeah, yeah. i could have probably worked there but <clears throat> so i was i had no money and i was you know i was working i was doing telemarketing i had a stint as an exotic dancer i had like some sort of did like, you really yeah sort wow. of very what was your uh what was your jam uh, brick house, of course. You Commodores. Me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Perfect. Brick house, yeah. That's the moneymaker right there. Yeah, yeah, funny. yeah. So I bet you saw some pretty crazy stuff. What was it like? It was bachelor parties. It was, ba parties it was bachelor like parties. It was only bachelor yeah, parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where the that's where the money is. Wow. Uh, but uh, but anyway, so I did stuff like that, and <laughs> while while trying to figure out how to be in a band, and that was uh, it was not evident at that point how to be I could be in a band. So I finally just joined the one band in Hollywood that would have me, which was not a particularly good band. It was a semi-talented singer-songwriter and who rehearsed us mercilessly over the course of eight months to play these not-such-great songs. But it did open the door. While I was doing that, my, our buddy Adam Jones one night um, convinced me to go out to be his wingman to some club, and I saw a band called Lockup, and they became my favorite local band. And I, But they, they were a different kind of band. They were a band that I had never seen before. They were from the east side of Los Angeles, and and I became friends with people in their circle, and eventually they needed a guitar player, and I joined the band, and I was like, this is, it had nothing to do with the Sunset Strip. They didn't care how long my hair was. They, I was like a good guitar player and a nice guy. And they were, they were, you know, they were drug addicts and prostitutes and, but they were like kindly folk and they were welcome. Like, who are they to judge? You know, like, we were all just kind of in this together, having fun making music as opposed to being driven to get a record deal. Or, and get laid. Exactly. And, yeah. 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 The stuff which was the Sunset Strip. And 
So uh, I guess around 88, maybe even just was, before, yeah. a band called Jane's Addiction yes. storms the yes, gates. Yes, they were. They, they changed were, the whole game, well, They right? were, you know, I would, before 88, I was sneaking into Jane's Addiction rehearsals and like sitting on the floor and they had it together. They were the band, they, them and Soundgarden, though Jane's was ours because they were L.A., um, you know, they're, they're the groups that redeemed hard rock music in, in, in my view, that they made it okay to be intelligent, intelligent to, uh, to, uh, trade in like nuanced poetry, yep. um, while being absolutely uncompromisingly metal yep. at the same time. And those worlds never came together. Like if you were smart, you had to like new wave or punk. And if you were metal, you had to like the devil. You know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and they very dispen- black and white. They dispensed. Yeah. They dispensed with all that in a way that was that was a real revelation. And they must have been at that point in time just so <coughs> exceptionally dangerous and exciting. Absolutely, absolutely. It was like it was. Oh, sorry, oops, that's right. No worries. Yeah, it was like it was like nothing. They were my favorite band. It was like they were a punk rock Led Zeppelin. Yes, and they that, were like Led Zeppelin yeah, in the nineties, weren't exactly, they? Exactly, they were. I mean, because they would they would have these long, beautiful acoustic sets in it. And, you know, with Perry's very unique, almost like childlike voice and sort of twisted melodies and and really uh, 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 penetrating poetry yeah. m- mixed with those huge, big, fat riffs, that was potent stuff. Talk me through when you four, Tim, Brad, Zach mm-hmm. and yourself, come together as one. And I imagine... Maybe I'm over romanticizing, but maybe I'm not. Was the chemistry instantly evident? It was. It was. Yeah, the first time we played together was August of '91. I think August 30th or 31st of '91. Um, and we had, been, you know, Tim and Tim and uh, Zach had known each other for some time. Brad and I had played together, but when the four of us finally got in the room, um, it sounded like Rage Against the Machine. You know, like yeah. it. it uh, it, it, but but that you we would say that now, where people like like Rage Against the Machine. Right, nobody knew or liked Rage Against the Machine. It sort of sounded like that music, and it was fun to play. We had no ambitions of ever getting a record deal, no ambitions of playing a show in a club. We didn't think that we had the, the sort of ethnic. You know, like there were no, there was no multiracial neo-Marxist punk metal hip hop groups playing the LA scene. No one was looking for that band. Yeah, no one was that. Those bands were not selling tickets because there weren't those bands. Um, so we just wrote this music for ourselves and. And but the, with the the performance performance in r- rehearsal had the same feral intensity as later live shows. So we just were like getting we we're going to make a tape and we we're going to like give it to our friends. I remember the I remember the first person that heard Rage Against the Machine. First person he was a, <clears throat> we were rehearsing in kind of like an industrial complex. This guy that was a worker, this Mexican American guy was a worker. Or, or, he just we'd sort of see him outside and he's like, "What are you guys doing?" There's like we're a band and we're practicing. He's like, "Can I hear?" He's like, sure. so he comes in, he sits down, we play him a few songs. He's like. This music makes me want to fight. <laughs> <You're> like, right on. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we're on to something. We play it, boxing matches or something like that. Is it true that you put out a one ad saying um, seeking socialist vocalist who likes Sabbath and Public Enemy? Yes, I did. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And obviously, sure. you found the guy that. Well, no, he didn't answer that ad. That was <laughs> no? yeah, it was a couple of years before I met Zach, but eventually, sort of all it took a while. rounded into shape. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, Brad yeah. had his right that said uh, drummer that loves John Bonham and James Brown. Yes, yeah, he absolutely did, and that's that's him to a t yeah i loved when you brought out that covers album it was such a fitting end to yep. an amazing you know run and i think that everybody who didn't perhaps know bands like krs1 or devo sure sure, sure. got an insight into that 
like musical makeup that that's made right. up the band. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then, Dylan and yeah, yeah, EPMD I think is on there. I've, uh, yeah, and Dylan. Yeah, it's like the the we drew from a lot of different sources to you know to come with that Eddie Stew. Do you have? <clears throat> I don't know whether you get asked this a lot or whether you can even answer it honestly. But do you have a favorite record from Rages? Oh, uh, I'd be the initial uh, three i mean my my instinct is just say the first one you know because yeah. the first one was made with such innocence and yeah. with really the expectation that no one was going to hear it like first records are you know uh um you know expectations were none and we just recorded our songs and at the time i thought we kind of captured about 70 to 75 percent of what we were and you know listening back to it now i'm like wow we must have been super good because that record sounds pretty great it's like, exceptional yeah, isn't yeah, it? and weren't a lot of the actual just demo versions of the songs what would eventually just make the final yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Bolt, bolt in the head is the is the demo that made it onto the record it's like just verbatim which is pretty crazy that's amazing yeah ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 ready to get 30 ready to get 20 20 20 ready to get 20 20 ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We've talked about the scene at that time musically. What about the sort of political backdrop and the world at large? Because around that time, you obviously had the Gulf War, like the end of apartheid, LA riots. You almost had those kind of early stages of that empty sort of promise yep. that the neoliberalist yep. political yep. movement yep. Yep. was absolutely which i guess um, is why we now have songs trump were as well written before that stuff okay you know, like yeah uh, the day that we went to go record the record we sort of had an aborted attempt to record the record with a guy who had i think engineered the janes records he lived in calgary um and the, as we were driving to the airport the rodney king verdict came in so we had kind of we had this batch of songs we arrive in canada we turn on the news and we see our city in flames and we're like like, we were prescient in a way. Like, no one even knew that our band existed. But, you know, Zach's lyrics had kind of hit the nail on the head about <clears throat> this coming conflagration that was then manifested as soon as their plane touched down. It's mad. And yeah. I think the, obviously, the political message is right there at the forefront. But the reason that everybody, I think, loved that band then and the reason why the records have stood the test of time is because it's the sound yeah. of four guys having the time of their lives. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, and unapologetically melding 
these genres of hip-hop, punk, and metal in a way that, while it had been toyed with before, that was a very, I think we harmonized those elements pretty well on that record. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. I would absolutely agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In your mind, looking back now with obviously the benefit of hindsight, why do you think that band came to an end when it did? Well, I mean, it was a surprise to me that that band didn't end every Tuesday. I mean, there was not a, it was, a, that was a, it was merciful in some ways that it ended because it was not a, a sort of a pleasant time to be in the band. And while the shows never suffered, the records never suffered, it wasn't a, being that was not a great time. Um, and I always imagined myself being in the same band for my entire life, but when the dissolution of Rage Against the Machine happened, it opened the doors to a lot of great things, you know, to be in Audio Slave with Chris Cornell, to do a Night Watchman career of four Americana records that I'm very proud of, to play with Bruce Springsteen, <coughs> and eventually to, you know, led to Prophets of Rage and this Atlas Underground record, things that have been so deeply fulfilling and made such amazing connections with other musicians and audiences that I'm very kind of, you know, grateful in a way. The list of collaborators and co-conspirators is... I mean, even Johnny Cash, man. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's got to be... I mean, I had uh, Stevie Van Zandt on the podcast, and that guy and his sort of take on music. Yeah. And to work with people like that, just not only on a personal level and to learn from them as artists, but on a musical level to get in and sort of yeah. bounce off people like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely, and to sort of see how people work and to pick up... I think the first time I did something outside of Rage, I, I remixed a KRS-One song, and I didn't... Somebody asked me to do it, I was like, I don't know how to... I don't even know what that means to remix a song. It's like you go in and you put your music with his words. I'm like, oh, I can do that. Right on. <laughs> I can do that. And that really, you know, so from Karis One to I've done Metal to Pete Seeger, you know, the list prior. The, the thing about making this, <coughs> excuse me, making this current record is that I've had maybe hundreds of collaborations previously, but most of the time it's lending my talents to someone's show or to someone's record. Yeah. Whereas this, I'm on the Alice Underground, like I'm the curator of of this circus, you know, and, and while the collaborators are very diverse, there's a guiding North star, both musically and, and thematically, that's my responsibility. And so how do you go about bringing that team together? Do you just write a wish list and say, approach Steve Aoki? It did start with some of the producers because I wanted to, you know, I had the lofty ambition of forging a new genre of music and, and combining the, 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 feral fury of my Marshall stack guitar playing, big guitar riffs, crazy guitar noises and solos with the huge drops of EDM and taking kind of the electronic wizardry of now. Um, <clears throat> I like describe like if, if my um, guitar playing is the, is the black and white Ansel Adams photograph, what I wanted was to do the smashed Picasso version of that yeah. where it's recognizable but you hear it in a different way. And so I reached out to Knife Party. They were, they were really my introductory drug to, to EDM. I'm not a fan of EDM. I didn't, or the, what I knew of it, I was not a fan of. Um, and then when I discovered those guys, like, that's like great hard rock music. and Aggressive know, and exciting. Aggressive and with the tension and release of the best Rage Against the Machine songs, you know? Um, and so I called those guys up. I said, I got an idea. What if... I love the way that you guys make songs. What if we make a song where you replace your synthesizers with my electric guitar, but do it through your the way that you arrange stuff? And they're like, sounds like a fine time. And that became the first song on the record, Battle Sirens. And then Bass Nectar, you know, he was next. And we, you know, we worked on a song for quite some time to find like sort of the right riff with the huge drop. And the thing that I found was Knife Party, Bass Nectar, Steve Aoki, 
Bauer, Pretty Lights, all big Rage fans. You know, and that was no c- doubt. Certainly, and arrows grew up on that. Yeah, band, yeah exactly. Right. Arrows in their quiver, and that it sort of led down, them down a different musical path. But they could very much relate to the concept of the Atlas Underground. Do you think you can still be entirely original working within just the rock format? Um, at this day and I age, I mean, I, I I think you can never say never to that, and and people are often counting rock out and often counting electric guitar out, and they haven't been right yet. So. I suspect they're not now. Uh, one of the things that this record I, can function as is a Trojan horse, and that it can introduce a radical poetic perspective and searing electric guitar to places where they currently do not exist, which is the dance floor and yeah. the charts. Yeah, yeah. You know? And um, uh, one of the things that frustrates me is like a lot of young people are reaching f- only for the, the, the laptop and Ableton rather than practicing four hours a day on the guitar because they, there's no guitar on the top 200 songs. Um, and so by working with Marcus Mumford and Portugal, the man and great band. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. Great. And, and some, you know, some other artists without compromising one iota with regards to the rockingness or with the politics of it to be able to have the Trojan horse come through the gate and go, there's more to the picture than you've seen before. Yeah. It's possible to rock and to think as well in both the mosh pit and on the dance floor. It seems to me, if you look back throughout time, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, up to, I guess, the turn of the millennium, everything that was going on politically fed into popular culture. Sure. And you'd have pop music, of course, but it would often be radical and thought-provoking. And and it does seem like popular music of today is kind of brainless. Yeah. Why do you think, I think that, that is? Be, I think it would be an accurate assessment. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it was, when it's, now, there's certainly plenty of music that's being made that is not brainless, but it is not it's popular not, you know, and in yeah, the yeah, charts. You look at yeah. like the Spotify top whatever list, it's not there. Yeah. Um, and the most you can hope for is like maybe an anti-suicide song or something like that, which is very worthwhile, but it's like yeah. it's not like this uh, 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 thoughtful commentary on contemporary events wrapped in great songs, which pop, which popular music has often been in the past. And <clears throat> let's be honest as well, both our countries are arguably in more of a mess now than ever. Exactly, exactly. Which may explain sort of a, a turn towards escapist music. Perhaps, But yeah. also escapist music also accelerates the problem as well by sort of providing, you know, like the bread and circuses of now to, you know, if we're taking pills and we're on the dance floor, let's not worry about the fact that the seas are rising and 300,000 Sri Lankan refugees will soon be in Malibu, you know. Um, so I mean, as to why it's there's a sort of turn towards the the, the vapid, I I honestly don't know. What I do know is that I have a greater commitment than ever to turning that tide, at least within my own world, and and making a record that can go beyond artistically uh, and audience wise, go beyond the confines of where my music's been before. You know, it's really like. I feel challenged and excited when I do something that doesn't feel safe. When I st- when I went from first of all being making Rage Against the Machine, that did not feel safe, and that felt like I grew as an artist. Then stepping into Audio Slave, where you've you know we've got this huge sort of Soundgarden camp and Rage camp that they're coming together, and half of everybody's mad. That felt very unsafe in a way that was fantastic. I made a lot of great records with Chris Cornell. Then in doing sort of a Dylan in reverse at at. Uh, at Newport, where Judas, I, yeah, 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 where I abandoned the electric guitar to <laughs> yeah. pick up the acoustic guitar, you know, to make four records, which made every guitar magazine on the planet, you know, curse and, uh, you know, put me on a put me on a blacklist, um, you know, to forming the supergroup of Prophets of Rage and now making this record, like, that's what I like making safe 
safe music usually stinks. You like being outside of your comfort yeah, zone. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel I feel that I'm by pushing myself as both a guitarist and as an artist. That's what it's all about. Obviously, Cypress Hill and Public Enemy would have been huge for you growing up, mm-hmm. and to have that come full circle and now be you know rocking stages all over the world with two of the greatest to ever yep, do it. Yep. What a thrill and a joy that must be. It's incredible. And as the guy that writes the set list, to be able to sort of look at the, you know, the the possible rageification of the PE and Cyprus uh, catalogs, drawing on the Rage catalog and having a growing profits of Rage catalog, it's like it's pretty awesome. Like we play those festival shows and it's no joke. Like we're out we're out there to you know to, to take names and numbers. I saw you at Download, and I would say that is the best. What's the technical term for a band that's just below the headline? I right, right, right. The, the second level or whatever. Prophets yeah, yeah. of Rage are the world's best that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. have well, to be that, yeah. a world-conquering rock giant to follow that. Yeah, Because yeah, otherwise, yeah. good luck. Yeah, exactly. And I like that stalking position, too. Yeah. You know, I'm like, you, play, you know, people have been enjoying their time all day, and then we're going, okay, here's an hour of this, and then... It, good luck. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I love that you've embraced the sort of the 420 culture as well. Obviously, that's not your bag, but no, it's not. I, I, enjoy, bag, literally. Yeah, I yeah. enjoy seeing the um, oh. the interaction that goes on. And did you have like it's one of those so little masks? It's so comical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've literally never smoked weed in my life, but I've ingested <laughs> so much secondhand smoke being in the company of Be Real. Here's the thing, though, like, be like, like, Timmy and Brad have smoked weed from time to time in our acquaintance, but now they're in a band with Be Real. So they, you know, like sort of bro down. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Know, and when, when we travel between hotel and and the gig, there's the <laughs> what we call the roaster van, which a number of the members are in, and then the Christian bus, which has me and Chuck. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. We're catching up on our reading while those guys are off smoking away. Amazing. Are you going to be um, doing any sort of like extended tours over yeah. this side with the Atlas Underground? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. 2019, we're we're figure, putting that together right now. And the the challenge is, you know, when you have is diverse artists from like Wu Tang to Mumford and Sons to Rise Against, who are probably not going to all be at every show, is how to make a a compelling evening, regardless of who shows up or who doesn't. And I've been working with uh, Sean Evans, who's the uh, artistic director for Roger Waters' The Wall tour. Wow. For the, for the wall and for the us and them tour. And we've got some, some pretty cool and bold ideas to make a non-conventional um, experience that will contain the music, but will go, go beyond it in a way that you won't miss anybody that's not there. So I'm assuming visuals are going to play there a huge visuals, part. Visuals, there will be sort of non-traditional elements involved, yeah, which will be cool. A music video is something that still interests you because I remember seeing, you know, videos like Wake Up back in the day sure. and just being blown away. Sure. Um, obviously, the money isn't, you know, yeah. what it once was, so yeah. the budgets aren't when they once were, but is that still an area of I hesitate of the... to tell you what we spent on the Cochise video. For all <laughs> I'll bet. Looking back, I'm like, you got what? <laughs> that was right at the <laughs> tail end, like, I guess, built right? built a house. Yeah. For that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so is that it was right at the tail end. Right, right at the tail end, one of just the parties <laughs> yeah, over, yeah, guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. But is, is that an area that still interests you and excites yeah. you? Yeah, I mean, the the budgetary constraints are, are real, though, and yeah. so you have to get very, very creative to make something that... That, you know, I, I, you know, I remember sitting there was a show on MTV called 120 Minutes, and like the lead video each week, Sunday night for 120 minutes, every alternative leaning person in the country would was riveted. Like, what's it going to be? And I remember when Rage had a video as the lead video, and I thought, like, that's the ultimate. And now, you know, there's nine since we've been doing this interview. There's probably nine thousand new. Yeah, you know, mumble, mumble mumble rap videos have come out during that amount of, that amount of time. So uh, 
I like the idea, and you know, it's working with Sean especially, who's a, a genius at the, at the video stuff, of coming up with some broad concepts and let people who know what they're doing execute them for whatever the budget is. Tom, I could talk to you all day. I think we're pretty much out of time. So I want to ask you one final question. Yes. If and when you're next in town, would you mind doing a part two with me? I'd be happy And sitting to. down for another round. I'm willing to guarantee it. Thanks yeah, yeah, so yeah. much for your time, thank dude. You very much, a real sir. pleasure. And uh, thank you for all your great work. I see what's happening. I can read between the lines. I see what's happening, I can read between the lines. It's always a pump, motherfucker, pop of that weak shit. Thug, thumb, internet gangsters, not on no street shit. Where we come from, we don't fuck with no holy sis. We pay that salary and they pay us back. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 